Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's Brewcast time. Welcome back in to another episode of Brewcast. going to be a very, very fun episode. I am Luke Yardy, as always, joined by Anthony Broom and Chris Castellani. Big win for the Michigan Wolverines football team as they defeated Rutgers very, very easily up in Piscataway. Uh, going to touch on that. Going to touch on a little Michigan basketball because this week, if you're listening to this episode before Wednesday, a big game coming up on Wednesday night as Michigan takes on Villanova. And we have to touch on now. If you've been a friend of the show, we've we've touched on Marvel movies quite a bit in this show. Unfortunately, as we record this a Monday, Stan Lee has passed away today at 95. I want to welcome in my Co-host here, Anthony Broom, Chris Castellani. Guys, what's going on? Oh, it's good to be back. Obviously, um, pretty sad about Stanley and all that stuff. And we were probably do a little tribute to Stan later on in the show. Uh, pretty big part of all of our lives, a lot of people's lives. I know it's Michigan and and football and basketball and all things like that. But uh, that was a pretty important guy for me, and and I'll say like kind of inspirational and, and all that kind of stuff. So we'll talk about him. Um, excited to be back talking about, I mean, you said big win over Rutgers. Uh, it was a win over Rutgers. I don't know if I'd call it. A I big meant, win. I meant win. I meant win big, like score wise. Oh, wait, well, they didn't cover the spread, sir. Oh yeah. yeah. Hey, good teams win. Great teams cover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, I mean, overall, uh, not a terrible, uh, not a terrible weekend. I got older this weekend. This was, this year was the get kicked off your parents insurance birthday for me. So fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was great, good times. But 
Good to be back. Good to talk with you guys and uh, looking forward to another, another show here. Yeah, man. I mean, more of the same um, for me this weekend uh, watched, watch a lot of football, not, uh, not a ton going on uh, really <laughs> that much in my world, but uh, yeah, we'll talk more about Stanley later. Uh, once we cover uh, Michigan's win against Rutgers, obviously a, uh, you know, a, a, a decisive uh, workmanlike victory by the Wolverines. Maybe not, and we'll get into this. Maybe not as thorough a beatdown as as some people uh, might have wanted or expected, but uh, a, a you know substantial uh, margin of victory nonetheless, and it puts Michigan one step closer to a Big Ten championship. Well, let's go ahead. We'll get it out of the way. So Michigan did move to nine and one overall, seven and zero in the Big Ten. You know, the mantra is usually, um, you know, any win on the road in the Big Ten is a good win. But I mean, let's be honest, guys. This one was a a, this was a foregone conclusion. Also, I still have a hard time. I don't know if you guys are the same. Like, I I had no problem with Nebraska, Maryland, eh, maybe, but I, I still can't like. I don't know, view Rutgers as a Big Ten team. Do, do you guys feel that same way, or is that just me? Well, they are a Big Ten team. Like, no, 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 I, I know, but I, I'm just like... I know, I know, I know what you, I'll, I'll get there. Um, but it's absolutely embarrassing that they're... I mean, all of this is just... It's pathetic. I mean, and I know... <laughs> and you know what? Credit to them. I actually thought that Rutgers came out, and, and for from a Rutgers point of view... Now, mind you, two years ago, when it was 78-0, to zero, they set the bar extremely fucking low but i thought for Rutgers, i thought that they came out and played pretty well to start that game you hold michigan here uh you score an 80 yard touchdown it was 7-7 at the end of the first quarter i mean kudos to them but um water is always going to find its level and uh you know maybe Rutgers is a like four or five win team and next year or the year after who knows um yeah, it's, the thing about that is they want the Big Ten wanted that New York television market, but you're pulling from like Piscataway, New Jersey. Like that's not like it's not the New York market. Like it's just not who like it's who in New York gives a shit about Rutgers. I know it's like you you may as well like if you're gonna do that, have like Hackensack Community College join the Big Ten. Like <laughs> it's it's akin to that in my opinion, but. Um, you know, credit to Michigan. Uh, they weren't, you know, anytime you can say a team in conference play went on the road, won by 35, and you weren't all that impressed by it. I mean, that's, that is impressive in a, in of itself. So especially when, you know, God, it was just a few short years ago where Michigan plays a night game there, a blackout game. And they, you know, obviously these were darker times but they lose that game. They lost the first time they ever played Rutgers. So I believe they were Rutgers first win in the big 10. Shout so. out to Brady Hoke. Yeah. yeah. Shout out. Exactly. No, is there I, anything once uh, this is a question for you too, Chris, uh, is there anything, you know, since Anthony just alluded to, you know, you came away, you know, not impressed or whatever. Is there anything Michigan could have done that would have impressed you? Like even 78 to nothing, that would have been like, to me, like I wouldn't have been so impressed with the Wolverines as much of a laughing how much more of a laughing stock that would make Rutgers. You know what I'm saying? Like, is there anything Michigan could have done where you could have been like, wow, that was impressive. Uh, for me, it ran the ball a bit better. 
you know, they obviously Chris Evans had that big, uh, had that long touchdown run in the fourth quarter. But um, what was strange was it felt like uh, they they felt at points like they they were giving Karan Higdon the day off. Now, when he did carry the ball, uh, he wasn't super effective. Uh, definitely not his best day. Didn't really break any runs open, but uh, did have two touchdowns. But it seemed like a majority of the carries went to True Wilson and to uh, Chris Evans. I could be wrong on that, but it, it, that's at least what it felt like. Uh, and they had a lot of run plays that went for short gains. I, I thought they could have ran the ball better. Um you know, obviously, uh, Harbaugh's a coach that's big on establishing the run game and wearing teams down, uh, you know, with it kind of smash-mouth football mentality. But this was uh, this was a game where, where they wore Rutgers down uh, through the air. And uh, I whether that was their initial game plan, I think it was, or, or if uh, their game plan changed after the first quarter, who knows. But um, it, it, was, it, it was obvious that... Uh, Rutgers secondary wasn't going to be able to stop Michigan's passing game. So I, I think if there was one thing that I would uh, it would have been more impressed by, running the ball better. And, uh, it, there were, you know, there were a few semi – there was obviously the one big run play by Rutgers, uh, the 80-yard touchdown. Um, they, they had maybe one or two more um, – big plays that I could have gone without, but I'm really, I'm, I'm really nitpicking at this point. So really it was just a Michigan run game. I was a little bit disappointed in. Yeah. And I think the, like the misconception about like maybe my opening comments here were that I wasn't there, that I wasn't impressed. There were a few things I was impressed by one, you know, we've been asking, everyone's been asking all year for Shea Patterson to be unleashed, so to speak. And, and I thought, I know it's Rutgers and I, it's funny. Every time you talk about Michigan playing against this team and someone doing well, you're like, you add the caveat, it's Rutgers. You well, have to qualify it, man. You have to qualify which is, it. Which is hilarious because it is a conference opponent still, <laughs> but uh, can only beat that horse so much. But I think what I was really impressed by was just how well Shea Patterson played. I mean, that was a guy who I think he threw for three touchdowns, 270 yards. The, th- the touchdown throw that he made to Oliver Martin mm-hmm. where he – First of all, he had all day to throw, but he's waiting for someone to get open, waiting for someone to get open, runs around back in the pocket, and then like throws on the run, like across his body to to a you know a pretty pretty solidly uh, pretty solid play by Oliver Martin too. But that that might be the best play that Shea has made this year. Like that was impressive stuff. And there were a couple other uh, passes where uh, earlier in the game he had a, a deep ball to Martin that kind of went off his shoulder pad. Um, there are a couple other deep balls that they didn't connect on, but man, if it weren't for another, you know, a few drop passes, like we're talking about Shea's best stat line of the year. And really, I mean, Rutgers, Ohio state, whoever the opponent is, when he, he just looked as poised and in command as he's looked all year. So, you know, everyone's been saying, Oh, well, he's just kind of been managing games and they're just kind of getting by on what, what he's given them. Well, in these games against teams like Rutgers and, and some of these other, I mean, to to a certain extent, Indiana this weekend, you want to get, try some different things, get some different things on film uh, heading into uh, next week's game at Ohio state. And, and now I think you feel comfortable with, well, okay, well if, if they, because Rutgers, a lot of the reason that Michigan had trouble running the ball was they were stacking the box. So you had to throw the ball and, and they have a guy who's plenty capable of doing that. And 
you know, if Ohio State comes out and loads the box, I'm pretty confident that they're still going to be able to get, you know, get it done through the air with Shea Patterson and his uh, plethora of playmakers. I think that is a, a good point, Anthony, in the sense that moving forward to beat Ohio State, I think you're going to have to make some plays through the air. You know, to if you if you beat Ohio State and you beat Northwestern on a neutral field, which I think Michigan uh, would be favored pretty heavily to do so in the Big Ten Championship game if, if they were to win these last two games. But get, going into the college football playoff, if that's where Michigan season lands, to beat Bama, which Michigan's probably be a four seed if they do get in, you're going to have to make a lot of plays through the air. And I think a game like Rutgers, like you alluded to, is a good opportunity to maybe gain some confidence and, and really get some reps from the quarterback position and from the receiver position with some uh, some empty sets, you know, spreading out four receivers out there on the field. They got to work in Tariq Black a little bit. I know he didn't make a catch, but he was out there. They're easing him back into it. And a, a game like that's just, just really good to get some more reps, some in-game reps, because Michigan's mantra through the revenge tour has been to wear their opponents down running the ball. The body punch, body punch, body punch, eventually that defense breaks. But Michigan against Rutgers, they know they can spread it out a little bit. And, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Oliver Martin, all these guys, Nico Collins uh, had a couple of great plays out there. Like getting those guys in-game reps is going to really pay dividends, I think, as we move towards the end of the season. I couldn't agree more. I mean, just there's really not much else I can add. I think that Shea was uh... – I mean, borderline flawless on Saturday, really. I, I and, and I, I think Harbaugh said today in his uh, in his presser that he said that he felt like the receivers, uh, you know, were were excellent and there weren't any drops. I I actually disagree. I feel like there was. I mean, they were tough plays, but there were at least one or two drops on on deep balls that I felt like should have been caught. I believe one by Nico Collins, one by DPJ. Now those guys have been making plays all year. Uh, it is Rutgers, so I'm, uh, you know, I'm, they, all is all is forgiven. But I think um, just Shea's ability to extend plays, and obviously a lot of credit goes to the offensive line, giving them time to throw. But his ability to extend plays is, um, I, I mean, it's it's like it's almost Johnny Manziel esque. You know what he was able to do uh, at Texas A and I'm not comparing him, not say, in that way, not saying. Shea is even in the same ballpark, but just as far as um, being able to kind of have that backyard football mentality, drawing things up in the st- in the sand, you know, other what other cliches I can use, I don't know, but just that that uh, ability to extend plays and make plays, um, and being smart with the football. Uh, a lot of times with quarterbacks like this, guys who are able to extend plays, we see a lot more turnovers, a lot of guys trying to make things happen when they aren't there. Um, Shea, knock on wood, just has not done that at all this year. I mean, he, when um, the, he, he's taken what, what the defense has given him, he's taken what his receivers have given him, and uh, he's been at, as accurate and as consistent as almost any big as almost any quarterback in the Big Ten this year. 100% agree, man. Shea just keeps getting better and better, and you think about it. I know it got overblown a little bit this offseason with the whole, I don't know, savior thing. I, I thought that was a bit much. But the quarterback play this year compared to last year and really how much it's elevated the team as a whole, it, it's literally like night and day, man. Just Just thinking about last year. 
and how terrible the quarterback play was. It's so nice to finally have a guy you can rely on. And, you know, you go back to even like 2015, and Jake Rudock was good. But Michigan hasn't had a guy who can throw and make plays like Shea Patterson. I like when do you go back to like Denard was a playmaker, but obviously he was completely hit or miss in the passing game. Uh, Chad Henney, that guy had cement blocks for feet. So like, when was the last time Michigan has Michigan ever had a guy like this? One year of Henson, maybe. Not to my knowledge. I mean, it's this is some of the really as good as Henny was, and as good as at times that Devin Gardner played. I mean, this is the. this is the best quarterback that I can consciously say I remember having at Michigan. I mean, when, you know, 97, you know, the Brady and Henson stuff and all that, like I was, I was six and seven years old. Like, let's be honest. I was still like plugging my ears when like fireworks would go off and like being afraid of sitting on the grass and things like that. So I wasn't, wasn't really all concerned about like quarterback play and Michigan and all that. I just knew that they, I liked them. That's what I knew. But when I sit here and look at what Michigan's getting right now, you know, I think that I still don't think that we've seen a full 60 minutes of Shea Patterson's best football. And, and that's that's exciting because I think obviously it's going to be needed against Ohio State. I mean, I certainly I don't think I think you're much better than them right now, but I don't think you're going to blow them out. Um, and then if you get to Indy in the Big Ten title game, you're going to play Northwestern, who we saw that that and was a 60 minute game. So. No, really, really encouraged by what we've seen uh, so far through God. You said, you know, you open the show, you say Michigan's nine and one. I can't believe that we're through 10 games already. I mean, it just it's disgusting. doesn't feel it doesn't feel like that long ago that we were talking about what the hell happened at Notre Dame. You know? Yeah. Doesn't that seem like a different season? It felt like it felt like lat like that's I said it at the time that felt like a game from last year. <laughs> like it, it was like the 14th game of the 2017 yeah. season. It looked like it too. I mean, <laughs> just that, it, that was the same team that played South Carolina. It's, it felt like it. Yeah. It, it felt like it for sure. So looking ahead to this week, Indiana, now Indiana, do they qualify as, as part of the revenge tour? Because Michigan went to overtime with this damn team last year. Like, They've they've actually had trouble the last couple of years with Indiana. Now that I think about it, the year in 2016 after the Iowa game, they had to get some some big runs late in that snowy uh, snowy senior night at the Big House. Indiana's posed some problems for Michigan. Well, there's a reason they're known as chaos team on the internet. Like they, Indiana, with all of its faults and never really being all that relevant. I mean, I can't even really. Shame on me. Uh, I don't have it right in front of me, but I can't remember a time that Indian has ever won like more than seven games, but they're always a pain in the ass. Like it's, they do that. They've done it to Michigan state. They've done it to Ohio state a few times. You know, they've, um, I, I don't necessarily see that happening this weekend, uh, with the team that Michigan has and that being a home game. But, um, yeah, even uh, that first year under Harper, that was, that was really Jake Rudock's coming out that game when he had a uh, great game. Yeah. It was a fun, like absolutely nerve wracking and terrifying game because I yeah. think, if I remember correctly, was that also the game before the Ohio State game la- that year? Uh, second, the, I think the it went Indiana and then I think Penn State yeah. on the road. Yeah, they, 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 yeah, they played Penn State the week before. Yeah, so it's, I mean, God, that uh, 
what did, I think Jake Rock had four touchdown passes in that game and like four or five hundred yards passing. I think yeah, I think he had like six. Yeah, and Darbo had four. Yeah, that was a, that was a fun. Yeah, game. and then you think like the the Devin Gardner shootout year. Oh God, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. The, the second <laughs> second Michigan. I mean, now we're going back to two thousand nine. The second Michigan. I went to two Michigan games in two thousand nine. The tape four C a year. The first was that Michigan Notre Dame game where they right. come back and win with like 13 seconds left. The second was the game they played against Indiana, and I'll look up the the box score from that. But I remember that being pretty nerve wracking too. So like, yeah, I can't 33 28 or something like that. And... Yeah, it was something something stupid like that. But I, okay, yeah. here, here's the numbers though, because I'm like I'm I'm getting progressively scared for this game on Saturday. Don't don't. Yeah. But here's what I'll here's what. So I have the box score up from 20, uh, 2015. So Michigan wins 48-41. Um, two overtimes. Jake Rudock, 33 of 46, 440 yards, six touchdowns, one interception. He also led the team in rushing that day, seven carries for 64 yards. And J.U. Wow. Chesson, 10 catches, two, 207 yards, four touchdowns. Yeah, it was Chesson I was thinking of. I got it. Yeah. Now, Indiana was four and five coming into that game, but – Listen to some of these names that they had. Um, Nate Sudfeld, who I always thought was a pretty underrated quarterback. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jordan Howard, obviously now one of the best running backs in the league with the Bears. Uh, Simi Cobbs, that dude was an absolute beast uh, in college. It's like they've always kind of had guys, but they're never – they just have never been able to break through. Uh, Tevin Coleman wasn't on that team? No, I think that was the year before. Really? Okay. So, they've yeah, they've they've had some some pretty good running backs that have come through there. Yeah, they have. Yeah. Um, and Indiana, for whatever reason, I, there is a portion of the Indiana fan base that absolutely despises Michigan, like hates them with a burning passion. I've never understood Wait, what? why. why? I, I don't know. I think just because. Like, I really don't. I, and this I, isn't a knock on Indiana, but I, don't, I just don't like think of Indiana. You know what I'm saying? No. Uh, that's the thing, too, is like, I think a lot, like, we don't really think about this, but like, you realize that. Michigan is probably when it's all said and done, the most hated like program in college football, like either them or Ohio state. There's not a lot of people that got a love, a lot of love for Ohio state outside of Ohio state. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like one a and one B, but like when you look at, you know, Michigan, and this is the reason why I think, you know, I know that there's, there are teams behind them in the playoff standings that, you know, things can get crazy and maybe Michigan could be in a little bit of trouble, but if they went out and go 12 and one, they're good. The committee is going to put them in because like I've said before, I've said this a hundred times in the show, nobody hate watches another college football team. Like they hate watch the Michigan Wolverines. Fact. So if you're telling me that, you know, you could give yourself a, you know, well, let's just assume that it's a one versus four. You're going to get Alabama versus Michigan in a playoff game. That might wind up being the highest rated college football game of all time. Like I, yeah. Are they, on, are they on New Year's Day this year or are they on New Year's Eve? Oh, God. I should know this, but I don't. Oh, the, the New Year's Day is so much better than New Year's Eve. I hate New Year's Day. Then you could be right, man, because those are, I mean, you, and a lot of it has to do with current era, but I would say the one team everybody hate watches more, mainly just because they're really, really good, is, is Alabama. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking like, in the last 10 years or so, like, yeah. that's absolutely the case. But, like, traditionally, um, yeah, it's it's Michigan. 
for sure. I'm oh my god! Find... The semifinals are December 29th this year. So it's not on neither. Yeah, the 29th. I guess I don't hate that because then you have you've got New Year's Eve and New Year's Day to like yeah not worry about a game, you know, partake in you know all the libations and the, the snacks and the, the drinking and the champagne and all that stuff. Um, the beer, whatever, whatever your beverage of choice is. They probably want it to be, it's, uh, and this sounds silly, but I think they probably want it to be its own holiday. They don't want to put it on Christmas Eve or Christmas for obvious reasons. I think they're afraid to put it on New Year's Eve because it's been kind of a disaster when they've done it. I don't think they want to put it on New Year's Day because they don't want it to be kind of in the middle of a bunch of other New Year's Day bowls. Right. Uh, to have December 29th, uh, you you devote an entire day to it. Tons of pregame. Um, I, I think it, also it, what plays a, plays a part is what bowls are being. Because last year, if I remember, it was New Year's Day because the Rose Bowl was one of the semifinals, correct? Mm-hmm. So that, that probably has plays a part too. But, man, it feels like New Year's Day is like a college football holiday. You know, remember the first college football playoff? Uh, when you had you had uh, Florida State taking on Oregon and and then Ohio State taking on Alabama, like how much fun was that? Like on New Year's Day, that awesome. was awesome. That was probably the most fun two weeks I've ever had watching like college football, like that at that time of year. Like that's you know I don't need the the Foster Farms Bowl or the Belk Bowl or um, you know the famous Idaho Potato Bowl or the Bahamas Bowl or God I'm not gonna rattle them all off, but like. There's too many bowl games. So, like, when you just have, like, these gargantuan matchups, um, it actually means something now because we've had a couple bowl games the last few years. Like, um, there was the that Fiesta Bowl between Ohio State and Notre Dame, which you're like, wow, that's an awesome matchup. And then Jalen Smith tears his ACL and a couple other – I think a couple other guys, like, sat out. But it's like, give me give me these monster matchups with, with so much on the line, which is why – you know, it'll never happen because there's too much bowl, you know, there's too much money in the bowls and all. there's a lot of uh, sketchiness that goes on with all that. But like the bowl system just needs to go entirely. Like <laughs> I want like a straight up. I'm not I'm not a proponent where like, OK, put uh, we'll do a 32 team playoff and it'll go four weeks and we'll be good to go. Like I think at some point, like 16 would be OK. Like you do that. The problem is if you go to 16 you would have to include like the Sun Belt, the MAC, and all that, and and they're already they're already saying that none of those conferences matter because UCF can't get any respect at all, which they haven't played anyone, so they don't deserve it. But like, if you're a school like, we'll just use our our terrible alma mater's football program as an example. Like, hmm. if you go eleven and zero or twelve and zero or whatever when your conference, you're gonna go to uh, whatever it is the uh, do they go to the Cotton Bowl? I mean, it, um, it depends. We've seen guys go to the Fiesta Bowl, Orange Bowl. Yeah, the Cotton Bowl this year is a semifinal game. Okay, well, you know what I mean. Like the highest, you're going to go to one of those games, but you never have a shot at a national title. Like UCF's right. probably going to go undefeated again. Irrelevant. You're not going to play for anything, and they'll cry that they won a national title again, and it didn't happen. So it's <laughs> like, I, I think at some point, and we're kind. I know we're kind of off the rails here a little bit because we were talking about Indiana, but. Um, you know, at some point, I feel like that they're going to do like, I don't know if 
the group of five will secede from the NCAA or, or the power five will secede from the NCAA. But I do think at some point those group of five schools are going to have like their own playoff and their own mm-hmm. national title. Because I, I just don't think like, just think about it from our point of view. Like we're all, we just all happen to be central Michigan guys. Like even if they get good, we never have a shot to play for anything. So like, why even get excited over the season? Like it's, you know, I don't know. It's, I kind of went on a rant there, but yeah, uh, I guess backtrack, backtrack, backtrack. Yeah. Nobody hate, nobody puts hate, hateful asses in the seats more than Michigan. So yeah, they would, uh, whatever reason, uh, I'm still backing up here rewinding in my brain. Yeah. For whatever reason, a lot of people in Indiana just hate Michigan. I think it's because they've had so many close calls, uh, against them and they just, they don't like how quote unquote arrogant Michigan fans can be when they barely beat their, um, run of the mill program, but I've never understood it. Uh, you know, we've, <laughs> we've had some run-ins uh, and I, I got no qualms saying this. It's not dirty laundry or anything like that. We've had a few run-ins with our, uh, our Indiana affiliate, uh, because of that. And, and we haven't done anything. It's just, you know, we try to poke fun and, and have fun with the game in the week, but the, and I think it was that game, that Jake Rudock game where I think we may have just said something like quote tweeted something like complaining about the refs or something like that. And I was like, well, let's see how things are going down in Bloomington. And it was, it got a little testy after that. I'm like, I didn't mean anything by it, but like, there's, there always, there's a certain portion of that fan base that seems to be on edge about, uh, about this game and, and this team. So yeah, I don't know. Um, would I be surprised to see them? I mean, I feel like I kind of say this every week. Would I be surprised to see Michigan like be a little rusty and, and look ahead a little bit? No, it wouldn't surprise me, but um, we've seen too much of an edge and too much attitude from this team to like even remotely suggest that they could be in trouble on Saturday. So, did um, did you see that edge against Rutgers? Oaks? I I didn't. It, it almost was like they were just playing kind of not to get hurt, like because that was just mm-hmm. you know that that's just how I felt watching that game. Um, I mean, I don't know. I guess it kind of depends on what what we mean by edge like, yeah well it I was think that the, the defense wasn't uh they were great no question about it but it was like the way they were flying around in the previous three games i didn't it, it was more of uh we're just so much better than this team we do our jobs and we get out of here healthy sort of thing you know yeah i could i see that um i certainly see there's certainly an aspect of that i also think though when you look at you know, you can't really quantify what an edge is or what playing with an edge means. But with that, with the way that game started, where um, the offense wasn't necessarily firing on all cylinders, and then you give up the eighty-yard touchdown, I mean, how does the twenty seventeen team react to a situation like that? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they probably still win, uh, but you know, is it a? Do you have to squeak out a win on the road at Rutgers? Like think of a game like at Northwestern this year, is that what happens? Or is it a game where you win like 24 to seven and people are still pissed off afterward? No, I mean, to me, um, I don't want, I won't say I saw them playing with an edge, but I saw a very business-like approach to getting in and getting out of there. Yeah, that, that's that's the the word or phrase that kind of comes to mind with me. Workmanlike, business business like. Um, the last three weeks had 
had been incredibly emotional games and part of the uh, revenge tour. And uh, then you get to Rutgers and they did what they had to do. Uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, I, I think because of the 2016 game, uh, our thoughts on what, how bad Rutgers is and uh, might have been skewed a little bit. Obviously, they're terrible, uh, but 78 nothing isn't going to happen every year. And honestly, I had forgotten. Maybe it was my own head trying to block out last year, but I'd forgotten that last season they were struggling against Rutgers, and that's when they put they pulled John O'Corn like officially and put Brandon Peters in. Uh, so if you're wondering kind of what would last year's team have done uh, in, in a close, uh, you know, in a close game uh, against Rutgers, well, it might have uh, it might have been something like that where they had to make a, a, a dr- drastic or dramatic change and and uh, pull the quarterback or uh, do something to send a message. Um, it was obviously decisive either way. Um, no, it, it did bother me just just a tiny bit that there wasn't. Uh, that kind of edge uh, that they played with the previous three weeks, but um, I, I by no means do I think it's gone. Um, it'll be back, and it could be back against uh, Indiana. Look, I think I think this Saturday be, is going to be an emotional game, and I think it, it's why I, I think they're they won't come out slow. I, I think they are going to come out and punch Indiana in the mouth quickly. Uh, senior day is always emotional. Um, this is the the first. If you're a four year senior uh, or a four year player, this is the first class that's played you know their entire uh, career on under the Harbaugh era. So this is um it, it it'll be uh, it'll be special for a lot of players, and I think they're going to come out and pro- and just steamroll Indiana uh, on Saturday. They still. I, I, obviously, I, I'm still a bit nervous uh, because I, I'm. I worry what would happen if Alabama were to lose. You know, you still so I, I'm not one of those people who entirely thinks Michigan controls their own destiny, but uh, and I think in a way Michigan feels that way too. And Harbaugh has never been one to uh, take it easy on opponents. Um, I could see them trying to go for style points on Saturday if if the moment gets there. I'm not saying they're going to keep their starters in for the entire game, but. Uh, it, you know, if if there's a chance to run it up, I think they might because they they're gonna want to add that little bit of uh, you know, that little bit extra uh to to show off the to the committee, and I think Saturday will be their last chance uh to prove it. Indiana by no means is a terrible team. They're, they're five and five. They're respectable, possible chance for a bowl game, but uh, this will hopefully, I I think, be the last non-competitive football game Michigan's gonna play this year. That's that's a good point. What, what do you think about so if they make it, you think Northwestern could give them another run? I, I mean, I, I guess just because I mean Northwestern's always scrappy. They're always tough. It would still be just a, a, an absolute shock if they were if Michigan were to lose that game. But uh, it, Northwestern, look that. The one thing you can never deny about them is that they're always motivated and they're they're seemingly always prepared. Um, and I think we'll get that again if Michigan were to play them again. But um, 
as we talked about with the Notre Dame game, the same kind of applies with Northwestern, where uh, that the Michigan team that played Northwestern a month ago, um, very very different from the from the Michigan team that uh, is on the field right now. So I think it would be uh, a it would be a competitive game. I don't know if it would be a, a super close game, but um, it, and that might kind of seem like a contradiction, saying the, putting those two things together. But uh, I, I think Northwestern would put up a fight. Uh, I just think Michigan's, especially at that point, if they beat Ohio State and get to the championship, um, the the idea of Michigan coming up short at that point would be pretty stunning. So Michigan taking on Indiana Senior Day over at uh, the Bakehouse on Saturday. I really hate a four o'clock start time for college football. Like I despise. Well, dude, I despise it. Four o'clock. Like it's a four o'clock game on Fox. Yeah. So like that game's gonna go till eight o'clock. It's um, it's gonna be a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't care for that at all. Just to put it nicely, especially because like. So four o'clock game, if I'm up in the box, like I'll probably get there around like one thirty or two o'clock. So clock starts there. Um, game's over at eight, get down to the press room. First players will probably speak around eight thirty. Harbaugh probably speaks around eight fifty. Give us a couple more players. Be be done with players and stuff by around nine fifteen. Then you go back up to the press box and you write stuff and you cut up video and you submit everything. Probably won't get out of there till like 1030 ish. Mm -hmm. Then make like a 45 minute drive home. Like it just sucks. Like I don't, um, I'm not a fan of it, especially on the days where I have NFL the next day. And then I have like a one o'clock game to cover. Cause then gotta be up at like eight o'clock in the morning and, have stuff ready for inactives and all that. Now the next two weeks won't be much of an issue for me because I've got I've got Sunday night football the next two weeks. But like, God, that just stretches out the weekend. I just I just like the give me the noon game that kicks off right on time on the Big Ten Network where Michigan plays like Minnesota and they run for 450 yards and the game's over in two and a half hours. Like, give me that. <laughs> and, and dude, it's Michigan Indiana. Like, how does that warrant? That afternoon primetime slot. Well, because, well, first of all, the slate of games this weekend is absolute trash. Like, there's yeah. not, um, I mean, Notre Dame-Syracuse is probably the one that comes to mind. I think the, the Saturday night ABC game is UCF-Cincinnati. So, like, I mean, those are good games, but, like, I'm talking about, I mean, half the SEC is playing, like, the Citadel this weekend and teams like that, because they still only have an eight game conference schedule, which is an absolute joke that this late in the year you're playing. Um, really? I mean, all that you're really doing, like if you're in Alabama or a Georgia, like you're playing these teams to beat them by 80 mm-hmm. for style points. Like that's what it is. Um, right. You know, there's nothing to be gained by playing. I don't know. Schedule something tough. And like, Credit where credit's due. I think I saw today that like Michigan, uh, not Michigan, I'm sorry, Georgia and Texas are going to play a home and home in like 2029 and 2030 or something like that, which obviously that's a hell of a long way away. But I respect the effort at least to fill one of those slots with a tough game. Um, But yeah, I mean, I've kind of figured that would be the case because Michigan's in that top four and 
you know, people, people are, they're under a microscope now because they're, you know, everyone's kind of looking at them and, you know, don't really have a big game for them again until next week uh, with Ohio state. So yeah, uh, eyeballs are on them right now. And I, I guess Fox, you know, Fox has that deal with the big 10. I don't, I don't really know if there was any other games on the slate where you'd be like, Oh, Whoa, we got to go there. I think Michigan state plays um, Rutgers, right? Rutgers, Ohio state plays Maryland. Um, yeah. I mean, it is what it is. Um, no, Michigan state plays uh, Nebraska. They could lose that game. No, are, wait, are you are you sure Nebraska's this way? Let me look. Let me look. Uh, yeah, I, I'm shows. pretty sure. I was uh, I was talking about it today uh, on my show, and I'm pretty sure I, I mentioned uh, yeah, Michigan State. Yeah, that's a new kick in Lincoln. Uh, Nebraska will be hosting Michigan State. So, whew. can we talk about Michigan State real quick? <laughs> Words that are not very rarely used on this podcast. Can we talk about Michigan <laughs> yeah, State? They have been recently. <laughs> Mainly yeah, well, because of me. I feel a need to bring them up. Uh, just because they, they, they frankly, they really amaze me. That I mean, what what's their record this year? What seven and four, or like six and four right now? Yeah, yeah, they're six and four. Six and four. I haven't seen them play. I don't. I don't think I've seen them play a quarter of good football all season. Like legitimately good football on both end, both sides of the ball. And yet, as of last week, now they won't be anymore. But as of last week, they were ranked. Yeah, they can't. Their offense right now is as bad as it. It, it is Michigan in, in twenty fourteen with Nussmeyer as uh, the uh, OC bat. They cannot advance the football more than ten yards. They and what. On Saturday, they got beat by – that's the thing. The I think, obviously, the best result as far as Michigan winning the Big Ten goes would have been Michigan State beating Ohio State. But as far as – but knowing now in hindsight that that wasn't going to happen, that game, I think, as a Michigan fan watching it, I think makes all – not only did Michigan State get throttled, but – Ohio State really, it did not seem to me like Ohio State did very much to warrant dominating that football game. Michigan State lost to themselves with, and I'm sorry, D'Antonio making one of the dumbest decisions he's ever made taking an intentional safety when Ohio State couldn't move the ball. Let's break down that situation. So they take, they snap on a punt. They snap it out of the back of the end zone. Like it was, it was not an accident at all. 100% 100% intentional. Right. Because they'd been getting their ass beat in the field position game. Um, right. That uh, Ohio State's punter, uh, Drew Chrisman, should have, who should have, who's robbed of being the Big Ten's special teams player of the week. Um, I actually think someone from Indiana won it. Yeah. It's because but, the first punt went nine yards. All the other ones were unbelievably good. Yeah. Every, I've never seen, like, he had five or six punts in that game that were all inside the five, a few of them inside the three. Like, he, that was. Nobody's going to talk about I mean, we're going to talk about it now, but like when we're looking at one of the, the bigger matchups in next week's game in Columbus, isn't it kind of Will Hart versus uh, versus Ohio State's punter? Like field position yeah. is going to be absolutely huge in that game. Um, so anyways, back to Michigan State. Uh, so they, they, they were losing the field position battles. So like, all right, we're going to give up the two points for field position because that's what we feel we need to do. We need to flip the field 
give ourselves a chance to win this game. So they snap the ball out of the back of the end zone and, and take the safety. And then you're trying to flip field position. So on the, on the ensuing kickoff, they kick the ball out of bounds. So <laughs> Iowa State starts starts at the 40. Hilarious. It's, it was one of the I, – I audibly I, – I chuckled out loud. I was the only one here, but I laughed out loud. Um, it was one of the – like I – I guess I get it, but I mean, if you didn't, they were stopping Ohio State all day. Like, even if you're punting out of your own end zone, you give Ohio State good field position. Dude, Michigan State's defense was playing its ass yeah. off. Yeah, like, that was a very respectable. Effort nine, to, nine to six at that point. Yeah. Um. So this it was seven so six. Five, oh, seven six. Oh yeah, seven six. Yeah, the the eight at nine six. Ohio State scored the last nineteen points of the yeah. game. Um. I look at this box score. Uh. Obviously. Michigan State's problems are completely self-inflicted. Like all of their problems, this like the game at Arizona State was a little difficult because you got to fly across the country and play in a hundred degree weather in a whatever it was a ten forty five kickoff. So that was they kind of shame on them for scheduling themselves into that game. But um, in all of their other games against Northwestern, you know, against um, you know, really when you look at the losses that Michigan State has had this year. Every game that they've lost, really except for Michigan, because Michigan, that was that was we've we've pretty much come to an agreement that was a lot more thorough than the score indicated. Right. Even though the game was seven seven, like in the third quarter, in every other game that State has played, they have shot themselves in the foot. Whether it be with quarterback play, with the offense, I mean, God, I mean, Rocky Lombardi ran the ball once for forty seven yards, and like their Dave Warner is like dialing up the option for him like at different points in the game it was hilarious and then they go back to brian lewerke and then they go back to rocky it's like that program has some problems right now and um not that we feel bad for them but you know really not so michigan played at 3 30 on saturday this was the noon game so with ohio state in a few weeks and with what was on the line like michigan state is one you'd wrap you pretty much have wrapped up your trip to indy before you play Ohio State. Now, you obviously, you have to beat Rutgers, had to beat Indiana, whatever. But watching Ohio State, like, I'm, I'm looking at the box score here. Like, Mike Weber was able to run the ball a little bit, which is impressive against that, you know, against Michigan State's run defense. But other than that, I mean, Dwayne Haskins was 24, 39, 227 yards, one touchdown, 5.8 yards per attempt. Um you know, I don't. Uh, Michigan State averaged two point eight five yards per play. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, their de- their defense was Ohio State's defense. Give them credit; they played well. But I don't like you. If someone was to say, like, say someone was outside doing the leaves on Saturday and getting yard work done and and all this stuff or whatever, and you come back in, you turn on the Michigan game, and the, and the score comes up in the ticker. You see, oh, Ohio State went up to Columbus and won twenty six to six. That's a hell of a win for them. Like that score does not tell the story of like what my eyeballs saw during that game. Like Ohio state is, is, is not what this is not your, your daddy's Ohio state. This is a very, and with all this, like the Zach Smith stuff is back now. Like I said it last week and we don't need to go into it again, but I feel like there's so much more on the line than just winning that game and going to Indy like this. You could literally tombstone pile drive, the Ohio state football program by pulling their pants down 
in Columbus. I'm going to be honest with you, man. The fact that we're talking about that game has me more concerned for Saturday that this could be a trap game. I'm really a little bit concerned about it. Really? I I am because I, I, I feel like Michigan's kind of, you know, looking ahead a little bit. Well, I hope they're not, you know, we are, and we can do whatever we want, obviously, because we have no effect on the game. But doesn't this just kind of seem like the typical trap game, you know? Well, I mean, I said it a little bit earlier that I wouldn't be surprised to see him come out yeah. rusty. Like, say they win 28-10 or 28-13 or something like that. Like, like they're going to make – they're probably going to make it sweated out, aren't they? Um. Like, I think it may have been you that tweeted this on Saturday. When it was 7-7, you're like, you said something along the lines of like, whoa, like this is way more stressful than I wanted to be today. Or no, I, like said, I said Michigan's probably going to make us sweat this one out, and they, they eventually didn't with Rutgers. But I, I just feel like there's a – so we haven't really had a sweat game. Like like Michigan State was for a little bit, but, uh, I mean Northwest, – Northwestern yeah, was. Yeah, no, that's what I mean, though. But, like, think of how long ago that was. That was the end of September. Yeah. Well, I think the the biggest compliment you can pay the you know pay this team is that on the days that they haven't been their most impressive, like I don't know, let's say at Michigan State or against Northwestern or you know even in a game against like SMU, like in the games that they haven't been impressive, they've still like for the most part cleaned everyone's clock. Yeah. Like yeah, that's the highest compliment you can pay them. And I think really the closest thing that we've seen this year to a full. 60 minutes of, of a drubbing was the game against Nebraska and then Penn state as well. I think would, well, Penn state, that one got out of hand late too. So it's just like, I don't, I just, I, I, no disrespect to Indiana, but I just don't see it being like sweated out. Like, I guess if you're a gambler worrying, if they'll like cover the spread, like you're maybe sweating it out, but like, I don't think there's anything that could happen on Saturday Sands a devastating injury, and, and I'm not. I, God forbid, I don't want to curse anyone, but I just don't see where the threat is. I mean, um, now let's go through some of Indiana's games here. Now they've uh, lost to Michigan State 35-21, lost to Ohio State 49-26. Actually, we're able to put up some points against Penn State. That was at home. Yeah, yeah. they're all. I mean, these they played at Ohio State, but the Michigan State game was at home. Um, Looking for an, I'm looking for an impressive win here. Uh, they beat Maryland at home. Okay, cool. They beat Rutgers on the road, 24-17, 38-10 over Ball State, 20-16 over Virginia, 38-28 over FIU. Like I, I don't. Wasn't Virginia just ranked? Virginia's a good team. Um, they are. Hold on here. They're seven and three, second in the ACC Coastal. Uh, they've lost to North Carolina State and Pitt. Now that's not all that uh, glamorous, but um, <laughs> they're all right. Like that's they're an okay team. Nothing. I don't know. I just don't. Uh, I'm not. I don't want to play the game of transitive wins and losses or anything right. like that. But I, I don't see w- with how good Michigan's defense is, and I honestly wouldn't mind seeing them rest a few guys this week. You know, we saw Lavert Hills in the concussion protocol. He's probably not going to play at all. Um, if I was to guess, uh, Quiddy Pay, Josh Uche were banged up. Um, I feel like there was another one in there somewhere. Um, but I feel like overall, 
I don't think there's any trouble in this game. I mean, yeah, if I if you want to predict a little bit of rust, you know, a little bad day from the offense, that's fine. You can, I guess. Um, I just don't see it. I mean, I I expect Michigan to do more of what we see them do because that's what the body of work says that they're going to do. Fair enough. Well, we've we've talked a lot more about. Uh... Michigan Rutgers or Michigan Indiana than I kind of thought we were going to. Uh, Michigan basketball is uh, doing some big things. Also, they've started the year two and zero. Not necessarily glamorous wins. Talking about glamour wins against uh, Norfolk State, Norfolk State, and Holy Cross. Their first couple of games of the year: sixty-three, forty-four, and fifty-six to thirty-seven. They've got a big game on Wednesday night. They're going to be at Villanova. Uh, rematch, obviously national championship last year. Uh, you you want to talk this Michigan basketball team mirrors last year's football team so far. And, and that seems to be a theme early on in the year for a lot of these Michigan basketball seasons. Uh, the offense is bad guys so far. And the defense is really, really good. Yeah, yeah it's been a, are... no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, okay. Fine. You. All right. No, I mean, it was, uh, not the most encouraging first two games by any means. Um, I I want to just single in on the Holy Cross game though because that we've seen even in years when Michigan's been great. You know, twenty fourteen losing to Charlotte. Um, you know, losses like that. Obviously, twenty fifteen they had a plethora of of, of horrible losses. But uh, you know, I they were down six at halftime. They'd only made five field goals, and um, you know it was. It was it was starting to feel like one of those games, um, that that the so often beeline teams lose early in the season. But uh, uh, Bradzingas just came out and caught fire. Uh, Matthews had a really good game. It, it this is uh, I mean it's a team in development still. I, it, it's so weird. It it doesn't feel like, and maybe I've just been celebrating this whole thing, but it doesn't feel like it was that long ago when they last played. Um, and and this offseason felt shorter than any other. So uh, this, is, this is a team that's still in development, still finding their stride, and they will. I don't, uh, you know, they got the rematch against Villanova on Wednesday. I, I don't expect that to go very well, but you never know. This is... Uh, but at the same time, you know they're still two and zero. They they need to. Their biggest issue uh, again, surprisingly, is is uh, free throw shooting. Uh, they were much better against Holy Cross in their first game. Uh, they struggled a lot, and, and their three point shooting has been uh, suspect as well, which is surprising for a beeline team. But one, as you brought up, Luke, uh, the defense just stout once again, and that's that when you have that. Um, you know, a lockdown type defense that can get you through. Uh, and we've seen it. We've seen saw it last year with Beeline's team. We've seen it with uh, with Michigan State in the past with Izzo, where uh, on poor shooting nights you can grind out a win uh, with your defense. In those games in March, where you might be on the verge of getting upset, and uh, you've got you're you're having a cold shooting night, uh, defense can carry you. And um, it's been unbelievable what. Uh, how the the 
the change that's happened in this in the beeline regime going from what was a and what is still a, a, a fast-paced uh, running type of offense to just a down downright gritty really rock solid defensive team yeah and I think what we're gonna see this year from them is really it's it's funny so I mean I, I did after that first game I did a takeaways thing and then over the years, we know that Michigan has been known for its offense, but I think it's going to take some time for them to be good. I don't know if they're going to be a great offense. I think this has a chance to be one of Beeline's worst shooting teams, and that's okay. Uh, we've seen so many high-powered offenses of his not be able to win games because they haven't played defense all that well. I think this, their defense is, you know, to me, looks like it could be some of the best in college basketball. Once again, I mean, they've choked these two opponents out. Mm-hmm. Um, it is kind of weird how, you know, you see, you see livers and pool and, uh, you know, Xavier Simpson and Eli Brooks and John Teske out there. Like, Oh, this is a pretty good lineup. Uh, given Mo, given, given Wagner, uh, some rest, giving, uh, Duncan Robinson, some rest, like those dudes will be off the bench soon. And they're like, Oh wait, like they're not on the team anymore. So it's like, yeah. It is it is interesting in that regard, and that's a pretty. I mean, that's that's big for them. Like we don't, I don't think with how good as they were last year, I think sometimes we forget just how young a lot of their core pieces were, and a lot of guys that are coming back. And I'm I'm encouraged by that. Um, I think that overall, what you'll see with this team this year, and I don't have any big sweeping takeaways from the first few games other than they didn't shoot well really at all, uh, and I think that. Like, like I've said before, I think water always kind of tends to find its level. But I think that more so than in the past, the, this is perhaps the most Big Ten-looking team that John Beeline has had so far in that, yeah, there might be some nights where they struggled to get to 55 or 60, but there are going to be a hell of a lot of nights where they hold people under 55 mm. and 62, kind of like you know all those good Wisconsin teams from the past, uh, kind of like you know some of these grinded-out games we've seen before. So... Um, Michigan's proved that they can win those games. Um, really, the question for me is who becomes that go-to guy? And, and through the first couple of games, you know, Brezdakis has looked very good. Um, definitely a guy who's un, unafraid to to shoot and, and go to the basket, which is another big thing. Like, you have to have a – we've seen these guys be able to shoot from all over the gym, but not always have the want or the ability to just put the ball down on the floor, put your shoulder down and go to the basket. Um I think Iggy has a lot of that to his game and you're going to see some growing pains with him. Um, He's going to do some really stupid shit at times, but he's going to do a lot of good stuff too, because he's a hell of a basketball player. So um, those are probably my biggest takeaways. Uh, The other thing too, is that uh, I I think there's a real good chance that John Teske takes a big step forward. Yeah. He looks good, man. Yeah. And if people are going to drive the lane on him, they're probably, it's probably not going to work out. So uh, and they got some good minutes in that first game because uh, really I, I saw I, mean, I saw both games, but the game I was most locked in on was obviously the, the first game. And got some mm-hmm. good minutes out of uh, Austin Davis as well. So uh, you got yeah. the size, you got the defense, and you've got the depth. Mm-hmm. So I, overall, um, it's November it's November 12th where we stay today. Their first conference game is on December 1st, I think, which is weird. But conference play really doesn't start until – after college football is pretty right. much. Yeah. And, and, and really you're not going to expect 
you're going to expect Jordan Poole to average more than three points a game for the rest of the season, you know. But just some numbers after after two games that really stick out on the offensive side. Ranked 323rd in the country in field goal percentage. Ranked 249th in two-point field goal percentage. Ranked 333rd in three-point percentage and 317th in points per game. But on the defensive side of things, they rank 12th in opponents' field goal percentage holding teams to 30.6%, and they rank third in the country in opponents' points per game at 40.5. So this is kind of that that typical start for a Michigan basketball team. Remember when they got ran off the floor by UNC last year? Like, there's going to be some growing pains for this team, but by the end of the year, they're going to be just fine. Though I, I get a little nervous saying because we're going to start sounding like state fans with, oh, just wait till March with Michigan State so we can not make it past the first weekend. But uh, so it's about that time. Uh, so we talked a little Michigan football talked a little Michigan basketball but now for the sad stuff guys I'll I'll let you guys take it away because you guys you you guys are definitely the uh the mar I I love the Marvel movies and everything but you guys are definitely like in a tier above me no question about it all right so I'll say this like as we stand right now you've got almost like 50 90 minutes of like all Michigan for the most part we talked a little bit Michigan State, a little bit Ohio State. Like, if you want to turn this podcast off right now, you can because Chris and I and, and Luke to a certain extent are about to hijack this show a little bit. Um, the news on Monday, extremely sad. Uh, we lost really an icon and, and someone who's more woven into the fabric of society than I think a lot of people realize. I mean, a lot of people realize it now with how big those Marvel movies are, but uh, Stan Lee passes away at the uh, the age of 95. Uh, definitely wanted to take some time out to kind of discuss what he's meant to us. Um, you know, not just as, you know, I won't say nerds, but consumers of superhero media, but just in general, in terms of, you know, I mean, I, I guess I'll start it off. I mean, Stan Lee, obviously the, essentially the godfather creator of Marvel comics. He's the guy behind, behind Spider-Man, behind Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, Black Panther. I mean, you the list goes on and on. Any any Marvel superhero that you could name, Stan Lee's probably the guy who's come up with it, uh, the X-Men. And I think that uh, something that people don't realize about Stan Lee, or you know, from an outside point of view, so superheroes have kind of been around since, I mean, 1920s, 1930s. I mean, we're yeah. talking 80, you're going back 80 years. You've had Batman, you've had Superman, and, and all those DC characters superheroes have always been or up until a certain point until the sixties, when uh, Stan Lee kind of came around, they were always kind of deified as gods and these, you know, they're really, I mean, when you think about it, they are the modern day legends of, you know, people used to tell the stories about Zeus and, and Hercules and, and all these different types of gods. Like that is what superhero media has become. Like they are, myths and legends and, and all that stuff. But uh, I think the thing I respect the most about Stan Lee is that he always applied real world things to his characters. And, you know, like I, take a character like Spider-Man, for example. So you have Spider-Man has, has all these great enemies. I mean, his, his rogues are right up there with, you know, Batman. I mean, you've got the green goblin and doc Ock and, and all these different guys, but, more often than not, the greatest enemy of his superheroes were themselves. And he always did a great job of telling 
very human stories, uh, applying things that he saw uh, in his real life. Uh, the X-Men were invented as, you know, or created as basically something that was to reflect the civil rights movement. I know these persecuted people um, that were misunderstood and there's a war against them and all this. So um, I guess it's a roundabout way of saying, I mean, Stan Lee, and I know you guys are like, well, why, why do you care so much about Stan Lee? It's not just because I like all that stuff, but his work and, and the things that he created over the years are a huge part of why I'm in media in the first place. I mean, the, the first time that I, I don't want to say discovered that I was a writer or that I was, I, I don't I mean, I don't think I'm a good writer. I think I'm good at my job, but I, I don't think that I'm anything special. But the first time I really discovered a passion for it back in fourth or fifth grade, I'm sitting in class in recess and couldn't go outside because it was raining. So me and my friends would make these stupid little comic books and I'm like, they weren't good. I think they're still around somewhere. I, I'll try and dig them up, but it's, uh, you know, that's, that's very much set me on a path of, Hey, writing creative pro, you know, it's my first taste of the creative process. So, um, you know, I have a couple boxes of comic books from that. I collected as a kid. I was never a huge comics guy, but I remember my dad would always bring home. Um, they used to have these little packs that you could get at like the drugstore where for like $5, there were like three comics in there and they were all from like the early nineties. So, um, you're getting a lot of the weird, like nineties stuff in there, but like, so Stan Lee has kind of always been ingrained in in me and, and what I do. And, and we've talked about Marvel movies and things like that before, but um, no, not just, you know, it's not, it's very sad that he's gone, but I think that you, I almost felt it's really, it's weird because now we're, we're kind of getting to an age where like people that we grew up with are starting to no longer be with us. And I find myself yeah. like, I get less and less sad because especially with someone like Stan Lee, it's more of like, it's more of like a thank you and a celebration of their life and, and mm -hmm. all that you've done and all that you've meant. So, I mean, it was, it was like, that's guy was 95. Like you knew he had had some health problems. He knew this was probably coming eventually, but uh, didn't make the news any easier to hear today. And, you know, it's as soon as this podcast is done, I might go flip on one of those MCU movies or something like that. Like it's, um, it's it sounds like a weird parallel because I'm in sports and, and things like that, but um, I'm not in media without that inspiration. And that's, you know, from the from here to the great beyond, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for that. Yeah, man. I mean, wow. Uh, it it's tough. Uh, you, did, you did a great job there. So, I mean, I, I, I don't have a ton more to add. I'll just say that uh, one, one thing that I've uh, I always appreciated him about him, and and always will. Is uh, you you hear so often with uh, writers, whether it be writers of screenplays or writers of of uh, books, uh, that they often uh, get very uh, pissed off when they don't see exactly what they envisioned uh being put on screen when it's adapted into a movie you know a uh, 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 prime example is uh you know stephen king uh hating stanley kubrick's version of the shining um 
it, but one thing I always really appreciated about Stan Lee is the fact that, um, and and there was a video I retweeted where he talked about this. So he said, like, I when I watch uh, the characters I created on the big screen, I watch them as uh, the fans do, uh, and I like I I appreciate seeing different takes on my characters, and it showed that the guy didn't he was never too uh you know overly uh indulgent about his own works uh he, he never felt like th- these were were unadaptable uh p- pieces of high art that were uh that only he could touch he welcomed uh new takes and and uh new new adaptations and to me that's it, that's really inspiring because it is uh, especially seeing as like so many people did such a shitty job with it too Exactly. Yeah, and and the fact that it shows, uh, I think it's inspiring to a lot of people out there who want, uh, who also want to be writers and and create uh, new things, whether it be original characters or or uh, re- readapting pre existing characters. And uh, I mean, it's and he always maintained just a really genuinely funny sense of humor i i mean i think that one um the cameos in the marvel movies were always great i think once the mcu got started obviously starting with the first iron man um his cameos were like a main they were a mainstay like and often they would be you know some of your favorite parts of the movie and seeing him in in one of these movies was like uh it was like seeing your grandpa again or something and uh it sucks that we're not going to see that. I know um, his. It, I know all the everything has already been filmed for Avengers Four, so he's at least going to have a cameo in that. Um, Spider Man Far From Home. I don't know, but uh, it's uh, probably it, Captain Marvel too. I would imagine. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot about that as well. But uh, it, it's it's sad, obviously. But, uh, I mean, it's an amazing life that, uh, a guy who was drawing, you know, drawing, you know, uh, writing little, little bubbles on paper and seeing other people, uh, you know, uh, color them in, uh, on these, on these little comic book pages were turned into, uh, hundred million dollar, uh, projects that are loved and have become classic films, uh, and that he's been a part of it the whole way, it's awesome. And I mean, I think it's something that any one of us can only dream of, of doing in our lifetimes. So, I mean, absolutely, rest in peace, Stan the Man, um, just a legend. I got a, a few a few other quick things here I want to hit. Um, so in his, like, and not only was a lot of his thoughts and creations timeless, but a lot of things from that he did back in the day kind of apply to today too. Uh, he used to in his little at the end of the comic books. I, it may have been on the editorial page or whatever. He used to have this thing where he, it was called Stan's Soapbox, and one of the most famous things that's going around, like it, it's I've seen it before. One of my favorite little things from him. Um, this is what he writes here. He says, "This is from 1968, I believe." He goes, "Let's." He goes, "This is Stan's Soapbox. Let's lay it right on the line." Bigotry and racism are among the deadliest social ills plaguing the world today. 
But unlike a team of costumed supervillains, they can't be halted with a punch in the snoot or a zap from a ray gun. The only way to destroy them is to expose them, to reveal them for the insidious evils they really are. The bigot is an unreasoning hater, one who hates blindly, fanatically, indiscriminately. If his hangup is black men, he hates all black men. If he hates, if a redhead once offended him, he hates all redheads. If some foreigner beat him to a job, he's down on all foreigners. He hates people he's never seen, people he's never known, with equal intensity, with equal venom. Now, we're not trying to say it's unreasonable for one human being to bug another. But although anyone has the right to dislike another individual, it's totally irrational, patently insane to condemn an entire race, to despise an entire nation, to vilify an entire religion. Sooner or later, we must learn to judge each other on our own merits. Sooner or later, if a man is ever to be worthy of his destiny, we must fill our hearts with tolerance. For then, and only then, Will he be truly worthy of the concept that man was created in the image of God, the God who calls us all his children? That's from 1968. Certainly applies today, uh, without question. So words of wisdom from him. And I also want to play, um, and we do have a third person still here. I think Luke is maybe filing his nails or something. Um, my favorite Stanley moment, I'm going to play the audio here in a second, was not from... Well, first, there's two. The first is, so back in the original Spider, like the Spider-Man video game for the PlayStation, uh, Stan was, I think he, I seem to remember him narrating the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, come into the game. Oh, welcome, true believers, and all that. Awesome. Still love that. Might even go back and play it after uh, we're done with this show. But my favorite Stanley moment wasn't from a comic book thing or anything like that. It was from... He had a cameo in the movie Mallrats, which was Kevin Smith's second movie uh, after um, after Clerks. Right. This is really his his first like mainstream movie. Um, so basically, set this little clip up here. Uh, Jason Lee, who that was, I think I believe this was his first movie. Um, it's really a movie about nothing. A couple of dudes get broken up with, and they go hang out at the mall for the day. They're also a comic book. Like Jason Lee's a comic book nerd, though. Yeah, well, it's a, a big signing movie, so I mean, you're gonna get lots of comic book and Star Wars references in there. You're gonna get that, and it's yeah. terrific. It's one. Of, it's to me, it's his most underrated movie. But um, there's a comic book signing in there, and it was kind of a mystery in the early part of the movie. Then come to find out, it was Stan Lee, and they missed out on it. But then Jason Lee's character has a, a chance encounter with Stan Lee in the mall. And that's what we're going to play here. Hey, look at that couple. Boy, they sure seem to be in love, huh? You know, what's with that? That's the second time you've commented on couples in love. Well, I, I like that sort of thing. Tell me, do you have a girlfriend, Brody? Had one. We just broke up. The thing. Is this dork made of orange rock like the rest of his body? <laughs> it's a superhero secret. Tell me, Brody, uh, why did you and your girlfriend break up? She was a pain in the ass. She wanted me to be this typical boyfriend guy. Said I was too into my own world of comics and all. Yeah, I can relate. There was a time when it was all about comics for me. You know, I, I had a girl probably the same as yours. She always complained that I spent too much time with my own comics. And, uh... Eventually, we broke up. See, what did she know? Here you are now, a legend in the field. Probably had a slew of women censor, am I right? Oh, lots of women. Jagger and me, we had a running contest to see who had the most. <laughs> Matter of fact, last time I looked, I was way ahead. 
Damn, that's hot! But I never forgot that girl. Well, did you ever get back together with her? One day I found out she got married. I had blown it. I had uh, missed my window. No way. Well, what'd you do? I went on with my life. I created some special new superheroes. Uh, they were characters that reflected my own heartbreak and my own regrets. How so? Dr. Doom wears body armor to conceal his own mangled form, right? Yeah. Okay. That was me beneath the armor. The Hulk. A normal guy one minute, a rage of emotions the next. Just like me when I thought about what I'd given up. So you created each character as a way to deal with your one big regret. Yeah, the girl that got away. Look, do yourself a favor, Brody. Don't wait, because all the money, all the women, even all the comic books in the world, they can't substitute for that one person. I don't know, all the comics in the world? Trust me, true believer. Well, good talking to you. Keep up all the good work. You keep reading them, I'll keep writing them. Hey, Stan. Yeah. She really meant that much to you? Brody, I'd give it all up, all of it, for just one more day with her. Take care. Awesome. Love that dude. Love that movie. Stan the man. Uh, you'll be missed. You will be... Uh, always appreciative of, of God, this vast library of, of content and characters and, and everything that you did for society and making a little nerd boy uh, squeal at the movies every couple of months now. Uh, love it. So thank you for all you've done. Uh, watch over us all from the great beyond. And hopefully now that you're gone, uh, Disney doesn't destroy your intellectual property. That's, that's what we're hoping. That was very good guys. You guys did wonderful there. That was that was that was awesome. Uh, do have as we wrap up the show a little bit of more sad news to report here. Apparently, uh, tonight, Karis Levert suffered a very very gruesome injury. He had to be stretched off the floor and left in re- left the arena in an ambulance for a nearby Minneapolis hospital and trauma center to undergo evaluation on his right leg. So uh, prayers up to Karis Levert, a former uh, Michigan standout. Yeah. Oh my God, was this a? I didn't see it. Is this was this like a Gordon Hayward? That's what injury? it sounds like. I refuse to watch it because I don't like gruesome injuries, but that's kind of what it sounds like. Okay, oh. I, I was I watched it. It's not, and there's been some people retweeting like, "Don't watch it, or you'll fucking die." And it's not, it's not Kevin Ware, it's not Paul George, it's not Gordon Hayward. I, on on a gruesome level. Where if like I think we can all agree like Ke- is Kevin Ware the worst one you guys yeah, have ever dude, seen? Yeah, we saw his actual bone. Like, like yeah. that was. Uh, yeah. yeah. If and that I, and I if, watched that stuff. Uh, yeah, but yeah if, they, that was the one that made me like whoa. <laughs> yeah, if Kevin Ware was a ten, I'd put Laverts at like it's like a seven. So it's it is it's gruesome. Obviously, we wish him all the best. Um, just really disappointing. The guy was having a hell of a year too. Yeah. So. Oh God! I mean, on top of that, like I'm not. It sucks for Karis, obviously, because he's been through so much and fought back from so much. But uh, a little more salt in that wound for me. He was like 
he was a waiver pickup for me on fantasy basketball a couple weeks ago, and he's been killing it. Which obviously, what is what he's going through is much more important than that. But like, I feel I'm feeling this one a little a little more than than I, than than most people are. So God, uh, we wish him nothing but the best. I mean, he's he's done for the year. You'd imagine, maybe. yeah. Like, God, it's. That sucks because he's the one guy that makes like the Brooklyn Nets watchable for me. Right. Um, damn, that's a bummer. Um, God, what else you got that's, for me? Like the, anything else happened while I was eulogizing? Man, Stanley? that's that's about it. But the sad news just kept coming while you were paying that awesome tribute, man. So. Yeah, I, th- I think we should get out of yeah. here before any, anything else. Oh, bad yeah, happens. we who knows what's what's gonna happen next. So uh, we'll we'll go ahead and get out of here. But they, well, it comes in it comes in threes. So like. God. I mean, not necessarily deaths or anything, but like, so my, I had to, I've been pretty much like, God, like this, this podcast is a sweet escape for me because the last three or four days I've been pretty much quarantined in my house because the dog had surgery. Uh, the fourth member of our show, the, the, the dog who squeaks and barks every once in a while and gets on the air. We had to do a little surgery with her uh, over the weekend. Um, well, on Thursday. So like I've been holed up in my house for like a few days. So um, to have any sort of human interaction is, <laughs> is a pleasure. So glad to once again, uh, be able to take part in that. Absolutely. Man. This was a, uh, this was a fun episode. I, I enjoyed this one. We, we were, we weren't sure how much time we were going to spend on, you know, be able to spend on Michigan Rutgers and Michigan, Indiana, but I thought we did a pretty damn good job. Got some basketball in there too. And then again, you guys did a fantastic job uh, with the Stanley tribute. So. Yeah. And we, we talked about how Indiana fans are kind of upset because Michigan always overlooks them. I'm pretty sure we talked Stanley more than we did Hoosiers. So this certainly does not help our case in that regard. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It's worthy though. Excelsior bitches. <laughs> Boom. So. For Chris Castellani. Chris, where can we find you on the social medias, my friend? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. That's at Castellani2014. That's at C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-I-2014. Uh, if you want to see me on Instagram as well, I'm there. That's Chris Castle 95 95 Hope to see you guys on my Twitter feed and on my Instagram page as well. Anthony, where can we find you, man? You can find me on Twitter at Anthony T. Broom. Uh, follow the show at Brewcast Show. Follow Maze and Brew at Maze and Brew. Uh, forgot to talk about this uh, real quick. There will be, we're going to be doing a Michigan Ohio State watch party in downtown Ann Arbor. I, I cannot, I'm a little, little on edge because I still don't have official, official confirmation for the venue, but it's going to happen. It's going to be in downtown Ann Arbor. Keep an eye on social media and the website for the official announcement. We're going to have, we're going to have some t-shirts out there. We're going to do some trivia, a a pregame show, a halftime show. Um, You got all this stuff going on. So everything is pretty locked down except for the flyers that are supposed to come out. So I didn't, I don't want to super publicize it yet because they don't, um, I haven't gotten like the, the okay, but there is something happening for Michigan, Ohio state. So if you're not going to Columbus, why would you, it's terrible down there. Um, if you <laughs> want to go to Ann Arbor, watch the game, come watch it with us. It'll be a hell of a time. So uh, just keep an, keep an eye on social media for all those announcements. And thanks. Thanks again for listening. You know, we went a little bit longer today. Um, maybe did a little bit of radio for two there, but 
Hey, yeah. Sometimes you sometimes you got to scratch your own back. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Giardi, L-U-K-E-G-H-I-A-R-D-I. Shoot me a follow, and it's been a fun show wrapping it up here on another edition of Brewcast. We'll be back next week, and it's going to be a lot of fun once again. Appreciate you tuning in, and we'll see you then. Bye.